And for the rest of us, go ahead and open in your Bibles. I want you to open to two places. One is to Genesis 39, starting in verse 1. And we're going to be there just for a second. But the second place I want you to turn, which is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time, is Revelation chapter 3, which is the last book of the Bible. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. So we are in the middle of a series on the life of Joseph. And so we saw that he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And now, or what we saw last week, is that he was, he was now a slave in a guy named Potiphar's house. But what we saw is that when he, once he got there in the middle of this awful situation, is that he had a very real faith that impacted the world around him. And so, uh, so last week what we saw was that his faith was a blessing to other people. And there were two ways in which that was a blessing to other people. One is that it was a public faith. People knew about it. The second one, the second way that his faith was a blessing to others is that it was beneficial to other people. Potiphar's house was blessed because of Joseph's faith. And, uh, and so at the very end of the sermon last week, what we saw was that God was the source behind all of that. How we ended it is we said that God was the hero of the story. God was the hero of Joseph's faith, and he is the hero of your faith. And so if there's anything at work in your spiritual life, it is the Spirit of God at work within you to bring about his fruit. He is the hero of your faith. And so that's where we left off last week. And so I told you at the beginning of last week is that we, I'd split, split the, the text in half, and we talked about Joseph's faith, and then I said this week we're going to look at his temptation with Potiphar's wife. We're actually going to push that back one more week because I started thinking about this text more this week, and there's something else in here that I want you to see. And so, uh, and so we, before we begin uh, with the temptation, I wanted to continue on with what we talked about last week. And so the question is this is if we say, or how we end it is, is say, hey, the, the call for us, if God is the hero of our faith, if God is the source behind our faith, then what is implied within that call? What's implied within that call for us? And there's a couple lessons I want us to learn. Is one is the reality of the human condition. The reality of the human condition. There is a core doctrine within Christianity called the fallenness of humanity, the fallen nature of man. Now, what that means, this is a fundamental doctrine in all of Christianity. What that means is that God had a beautiful design for the world. He created the world good, and it was a blessing But then we rebelled against his design through sin, and that brought brokenness into our world. And it broke our world, and it broke us. It broke our hearts. And so, and not in like, well, yes, in the sense of like, yeah, emotionally, but but it broke us in the sense that we are now born into rebellion against God. And so we talked about the gospel last week, because that's the beginning point of the gospel, is the fallenness of humanity in which we search for all these ways to fix our brokenness. But the reality is that God sent Jesus to, to fix the brokenness in the world, and so our call is to turn to him and repent. But the core doctrine within this that I want you to catch is the fallenness of humanity. You in and of yourself, when you are born, you have your heart turned away from God. That is, the, that is the core, that is what's inside of every person. 
And that's what this text, one thing this text is teaching us. And so scripture, all throughout it, is telling you this message is that you cannot fix yourself. You cannot fix yourself. There's nothing inside of you. No self-help book is going to do enough. No, no, no amount of good deeds are going to fix you. There's no way that you can fix yourself. And so John Calvin, he said this, and man is destitute of all good, devoid of every means of procuring his own salvation. Hence, if he would obtain relief in his necessity, he must go beyond himself and procure it in some other, some other quarter. What he just said is, you don't have it within yourself to fix yourself. You don't have it within you to fix your relationship with the God, to fix your broken life, to, to, to obtain heaven in some measure through, through good deeds. You don't have that within you. You can't do it. That's what Scripture tells you over and over and over again. And so what John Calvin said is, so what that means is you have to find it outside of you. You have to obtain salvation. You have to find a way to fix your brokenness outside of you, outside of your intellect, outside of your good deeds. And so that's what we think that I want us to, to stop and look at this morning. That's what I want us to see this morning in a text in which Jesus spoke and John wrote, this doctrine for us, this idea for us is in Revelation. So I want you to turn over to Revelation. Actually, yeah, we're not going to end up reading Genesis. Sorry, I just had you turn there for fun of it. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Now what's happening in, in this text, what's happening here, is this is the, the, the last of the seven letters of the book of Revelation. And so John is writing this book of Revelation. It's a vision, something he had in which Jesus came to him, and he said, I want you to write these things about the world that is it is today. And so Revelation is not wholly about some distant event that you can read about in the newspaper. Maybe one day, we don't know. Uh, Revelation is about the world as it is seeing it through a spiritual lens. That's what's happening in the book of Revelation. And so he's writing about an actual church in a town called Laodicea. And Jesus is looking down at this church. It was a real church. And he was saying, I want you to write this because this is going to be good for them and it's going to be good for all Christians moving forward to be able to look at their example and see how do I respond to that. And so, so this is the last letter here. And this is what it says. Look at verse 14. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. And I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy, and I need nothing. You don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy gold. Buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness will not be exposed. An ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous 
and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray as we dig into God's word. And so, Father, come before you. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for, for men like John who, who, who were faithful to, to hear it and to write it and, and to preserve it for us. And so I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you want to say to us this morning about you being the source of all good things for us. And so we love you and we need you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me tell you what's happening in this church in Laodicea. So Laodicea was a very wealthy town, a very rich town. And uh, so there was a major earthquake in 60, uh, yeah, 60 AD. And, uh, and this city actually, it was a part of the Roman territory, but the city said after this major earthquake, we don't need your help, Rome. We can rebuild it ourselves. It was that wealthy to where they didn't need government funds to help them rebuild their entire city. They could do it themselves through their own people. And so there was this we-can-do-it-ourselves mentality within this city, and that pervaded into the local church. And so just as the city didn't really have a need for Rome, they were self-sufficient, so too the church began to take on that mentality of thinking, we're pretty good, we're sufficient, we're pretty self-sufficient. And they wouldn't come out and overtly say this, we don't really need God, but their actions said that. Their actions stated that. And so look what, look what Jesus says with their thinking. Look at verse 17. What's the problem there? This is their thinking. This is what's happening with them. It says, you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. That is the general mindset of those, this church body. And so they were deceived by their perception of being well off. They were deceived by their wealth. And so what's interesting is that their pride, Jesus is looking at them and says, your pride and your being well off and your, and your money and, 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 and your lack of needs, per se, he said, you are blinded. Your pride has blinded you to your real spiritual condition. Your pride has blinded you to your true spiritual condition. You don't think that you have any needs. And that's a problem. They were Christians. They, like, these were real Christians. This was a real church. But they allowed their relationship with Christ and the mission that he called them to to deteriorate because they were seemingly doing fine. And many of us this morning, like, we would do the same thing in mistaking our wealth or our doing okay this, this week as, like, as a sign of God's favor. And so, there, like, there's many of us in this room that are in this same position of those people in the church in Laodicea, in which you unintentionally, like, this isn't like a, you know what, I don't think I need God anymore. It's just unintentional steps. Or you've gotten into coasting mode in your relationship with Christ because life is just moving along okay. Your job's doing fine. You still have a job right now. Like, you've got money on the table. 
you got your stimulus checked where you where you were fine for a little bit, and some of us, like, you got your stimulus check, and you're like, okay, awesome, we got time, we're going to go on a vacation now. Like, like, it's just like a, you're doing okay, and I'm not criticizing that. I bought a bike, but I'm just saying, like, it's, like, you just get in coasting mode, and so you feel like because you don't have a ton of needs right now that things are just generally okay. You're not anti-God, like you're kind of you're you're in tune with God, you want to be in church, you think it's a good thing. But if you really assess where you're at, and if you really assess how engaged you are in Christ's mission, and if you're really honest, you can't remember the last time you heard from God through his word. And you can't really remember the last time that you sat down and prayed. Or that you sat down and said, I'm going to get out my Bible and just read for for 10 minutes or for 30 minutes. Or you can't remember the last time that you brought up a spiritual conversation or that you shared the gospel with someone. Or or you, you, you can't remember the last time that you just opened up and invited a friend to come to church with you. And again, you're not anti god you just have gotten into coasting mode to where you feel like you're okay and you're just kind of moving along, going through the motions because everything is fine. The reality is, is that this is what happened in Laodicea, is they were just like us, is that they got comfortable, they turned on cruise control, and they went through the church motions and assumed that they were in a good spot with God. But verse 15 tells us that Jesus was looking upon them, and he was able to see them correctly. He was able to see them to see exactly where they were at spiritually. Here's what Jesus says in verse 15. He's looking at this church, and he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were cold or hot. So, a lot of times we'll hear this passage, and a common interpretation is that Jesus wants you to be either all in or all out. Don't be kind of here in the middle, waffling back and forth. And so he'd rather you be fully engaged or fully anti-God. But if you're kind of in the middle, then that's just like that he hates that position. That's not the case. That's not what's happening here in the text. Because what Jesus says is he prefers you to be hot or cold. He's not going to prefer you to hate him. He's not going to prefer you to be on the route to hell. Like, that's not what he wants here. There's a different thing happening in this text based on the geography. So, where Laodicea is in Asia Minor is, is that, that it is a town in the middle of two other towns. So Hierapolis was six miles to the north, and they had hot springs. They were, they were used medicinal purposes. People took, went up there and took baths, and it was really nice area. It's like Hot Springs, Arkansas. If any of you have been there, like it's, that's, that's like what Hierapolis is. Then 10 miles to the east was Colossae, who was well-known for their really cold, pure spring water. It was a great, great, like they were, like their drinking water was just really, really good. But in the middle of those two towns was Laodicea, who didn't have a great, uh, a great water source, so they had to pipe water in. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm, and it was filled with minerals. It was hard to drink. 
And so what's happening here is Jesus is using a metaphor of their geography for this church's spiritual condition. And so what he's saying is, what is your problem? You are distant from the hot springs and from the cold water. What he's saying is, spiritually, you are just like your town and that you have drifted too far from the source. That's what he's saying. Spiritually, you have drifted too far from the source and you become disconnected. And so by the time things get to you, it's undrinkable. That's where you're at spiritually. So their pride and their wealth blinded them to the fact that God is the one who supplies everything they need and everything we need. There is, built into our world, the call to be dependent upon God. That is what he's trying to teach these people in Laodicea, and he's trying to teach you and me. Why? Because of the fallen nature of humanity. Because within you, you cannot source good. You don't have that capability within you. It is God who does that through his spirit within you. And so, therefore, you need to be connected to the source. That's the solution. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 15. I'm going to read verse 5 to you. In John chapter 15, this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Catch this, because you can do nothing without me. The call is to cling to the source, cling on to the source. And this is what Jesus, back in Revelation, back in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18 this is what he tells the church in Laodicea. He says this, or go back to verse 17. He says, you don't realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, and catch this, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. I advise you, verse 18, to buy from me, what? Gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. He's like, you're poor, I want to make you rich spiritually. And I want you to buy white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness will not be exposed. He says, you're naked. I want you to buy clothes from me. I am the source. And the last thing he says is you're blind. And he says, I want you to buy ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. What he's telling the church in Laodicea is that you have been trying to figure this out. You've been trying to be self-sufficient, to move forward with your individualistic society and suggesting that you've got everything covered on yourself. You can pick up yourselves by your bootstraps and just make your own path in the world and love God at the same time. What Jesus said is that doesn't work. That is the anti-gospel because the reality is that because you have a fallen nature, you cannot do it in and of yourself. He says, you have been shopping at the wrong store. You think you have your needs met, but you've been going to the wrong place because I am the source. He said, don't go buy clothes. Don't go buy gold from these other places. Come and find it in me. Come find true wealth in me. I will provide what you need. So, why did we slow down to continue last week's message this week? Why did we slow down to do this? So, like I said at the beginning, Joseph's faith was a blessing. 
it was public and it was it was beneficial or brought goodness into the world how through God. God was the hero of his faith. He develops fruit in us on our journey of sanctification, of becoming like Christ. So we ended the message with this. Turn to God, because he is the hero of your faith. But then on Monday, I, I got in my office and I started thinking about it. And I started reading, and, and, and I was wondering through the question, I was like, okay, well, how do I do that? Like, how do I turn to God and, like, live as though he is the source? Like, how do I demonstrate submission to God? Or how do we demonstrate our belief that the Spirit is at work within us? And how do we demonstrate our dependence upon God? And so I picked up a book uh, by Michael Reeves. He's a a seminary president in, in London or UK somewhere called Enjoy Your Prayer Life. It's a really helpful book if you want to pick one up. It's Michael Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S, Enjoy Your Prayer Life. It's real short. And in that book, he turned me towards the writings of a guy named John Calvin, who was a reformer, uh, pastor, theologian in the 1500s. Uh, he was French, and he, he worked predominantly in, in Switzerland. But he wrote a systematic theology called the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And all of a sudden, as I started reading Michael Reeves' book, and then I started reading John Calvin's works, all these connections started being made within me. Like, like I started, all these things started coming together, like with last week's sermon of saying, how do I turn to God? What do I do? What does this process look like? And both of those men showed me the method of approaching God as the source of all spiritual development. And catch this. It's going to sound... It was super profound for me, but it also is kind of like a, well, yeah, that makes sense. The method of approaching God as the source of all spiritual development within you is through your prayer life. It's through prayer. And when I read that, I was like, I don't know why, but I was like shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, the, this is amazing. This is an insight that I've never thought about. And, and, and it literally, it was like prayer that is how you turn to God through faith and submit yourself to him. It's through prayer. And this is the rationale behind Paul's instruction. He says, remember, he says, pray without ceasing. And we read that and we're like, oh my gosh, that's such a burden. But the reality is that if God is the source of all good and we are people who are complete and completely in need then the mode of accessing that good within us is through praying to God and asking him for it. That's how we handle this. And so in the Institutes, that's John Calvin's book, there's, there's four books within it. And the third one, he's call, he calls it the mode of obtaining grace from God. Now, this is not obtaining grace for salvation. This doesn't save you. But... It's of obtaining grace from God for sanctification, of becoming like Jesus, of your spiritual development. And we, we, we would all recognize we are all at varying levels in our sanctification process. Some of us are further along than others. And so the question is, is how do I move myself along in the process of becoming like Jesus? And so what John Calvin says is the method of tuning your heart and connecting your heart with that of Christ is through prayer. 
is through prayer. So what I essentially want to do is I want to read a little bit of that section to you because it was profoundly helpful for me, profoundly helpful for me. And so at the beginning, I read one of John Calvin's quotes, and he said, Man is destitute of all good, devoid of every means of procuring his own salvation. Hence, if he's going to obtain relief, he's got to find it somewhere outside of him. And God kindly manifested in Christ, who, who supplies whatever's necessary for us or is defective within us by faith. So God provided what we needed through Christ. Now, we may draw from an inexhaustible fountain. It remains for us to seek and in prayer implore of Him what we have learned to be in Him. And so God invites us to present our requests to Him. Through Christ, God has provided everything we need. And through Christ, by faith, He says, now I want you to come to the fountains. It's inexhaustible. Come to me. Come find what you need. He's like, I will supply it for you, and I want you to come and ask me for it. He says this, as prayer penetrates to the riches stored up for us with our Heavenly Father. It is not without cause, our Heavenly Father declares, our only safety is in calling upon His name, one, since by it we invoke the presence of His providence to watch over our interest. Catch this. It's not without cause. Like God tells us to come to me, find safety in me, find refuge in me. Why? Because through prayer, you ask my, my gracious guiding hand to watch over your life. The second thing is, is you ask through prayer his power to sustain us when we're weak and almost fainting. And the third is we ask for his goodness to receive us into favor, even though we are miserably loaded with sin. Hence, admirable peace and tranquility are given to our consciences through the straits, or by, for the straits by which we are pressed, being laid before the Lord, we rest fully satisfied with the assurance that none of our evils are unknown to him and that he is both able and willing to make the best provision for us. What he just said is this, is God graciously opens up the fountains for us to pray to him, to come find goodness through him. And he knows every wicked thing in your heart. And in the midst of that, he says, come to me, and I want to give you peace, and I want to take care of you. John Calvin understood that, and he says, this is the God that you want to pray to, the God who sees everything in your life, everything in your heart, and he says, come to me because I love you, and I want to care about you, so ask me for what you need. That is what he says. Now, he asked this question because I had this question a lot. If God knows all of my needs— and if he is in control of the world, if, he, if he's going to give me what I need or not give me what I need, like regardless, it's out of my hands, why do I need to pray to begin with? 
Like, like, is God, like, does he need to be reminded about me and what's happening in my life? Like, is he asleep? Does he need an update? Like, why is there a prayer at all? Why is that a real thing? John Calvin asked this question, and he goes on, and he get, this was so helpful for me. He says, this prayer is not for God as much as it, as it is for you. God wills justly to be paid homage by acknowledging that all that men desire or feel to be useful and pray to obtain is derived from him. What he just said is this. Prayer is paying homage to God, and it is a constant reminder that God is the source. God is the source. But even if the benefit of homage to God rebounds to us, pays dividends back to us, where it is true that while we are in sin, he wakes and he watches for us, and sometimes even assists unasked, it is very much in our interest to constantly be praying to him. Why? So that our heart will always be inflamed with a desire to seek and love and serve him. One, so that your heart will always be reminded to seek and love and serve him. Number two, is so that no desires will creep into your heart that you'd be ashamed of him to know about. And the third one is this, is that we might be prepared to accept and receive all his benefits with thanksgiving and true gratitude while we are reminded that they all proceed from his hand. There is a gracious God out there who desperately loves you. And he is the source of every good thing. And what he tells you is, says, come to me and get it. I am ready to give it to you. Come to me and ask me for it. Pray to me and I will give. And so prayer is acknowledging your dependence upon God. Michael Reeves, the other guy I was talking about, said this. And this is convicting for me. Prayerlessness is practical atheism. If you don't pray, you're is, practically, that's atheism. Why? Because if you aren't acknowledging God as the source, then what you're saying is, I don't need you. I've got it. Prayerlessness is practical atheism. And so let me give you, let me give you two helps with this. When I was in Belgrade, uh, I was with a, uh, last year, I was, I was with a missionary who was, this dude's awesome. And we were going to this park by these, this college campus to go just share the gospel with some students who'd be out there hanging out. And so as we're walking up to the park where we see some students sitting on a bench, you know, just chilling out on their phones or whatever. And so we're like, oh, we're gonna go talk to that guy. And so as we're about to walk over to this other guy, all of a sudden, James, the guy I'm with, he just starts praying real quick. And he's like, God, I pray that you'd help us with this encounter. Give us the words to speak. And I pray that they would be receptive to your word. And then that was it. He said that out loud to me as we're in this parking, like I'm in this park. He didn't say it super loud, but just like between him and me, as we're walking over to, to go uh, ask this guy if, if he knows who Jesus is. And, and, and he did that. And the more I thought about him doing that, the first time he did it, I'm like, what are you doing? But then the more I thought about it, the more he did it, the more I was with this guy, I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. 
that's praying without ceasing. That is, is, is acknowledging our need and our dependence upon God in that moment. And so one thing I, I've, I've, that was kind of like, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, impactful for me? Is that it wasn't a 10-minute prayer. We didn't stop and hold hands and, and start praying and we both had to lay out our, you know, go through the, the, the letters of the prayer thing, and we got to start with Thanksgiving, and then start with confession. Like, we didn't go through, it was simply a, it was a 15-second prayer, 10-second prayer of acknowledging our need for God to work in that moment. And, and that was, that was so profound for me. Also, he didn't use any fancy language. It was simply an acknowledgement that we were dependent upon God to work in that moment. And that was so profound for me. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed or beat down or, or feel like you need to do better, I want, you to, I want you to remember this, is that it's not about you. You're not the hero of your faith. You are, you are, are not the hero. God is. And so in that moment, what you're saying is we're just simply stopping to acknowledge him. And I don't want you to be overwhelmed by this and saying, okay, you need to go out and go be a better prayer. Go do it. Go start and you need to, tomorrow, start with three hours in the morning. There's a, there's a, there's a, a quote that's, that's supposedly by Bart, Martin Luther. It's not a real quote by Martin Luther, but it says, or essentially he says, man, I just got so much to do today. I'm so busy. I've got like 12 or 14 hours of work ahead of me, so I just need to begin my day with three hours of prayer. That's not true. He didn't really say that. But when you hear people say things like that, you're like, wow, that's really unhelpful because that just makes me feel really, really crummy. And so the call is not to go begin and say, tomorrow, let's begin with three hours of prayer. Put it in your schedule. No, the call is to minute by minute, moment by moment, acknowledge our dependence upon God. And so when you sit down for a meal, you don't have to be a long prayer. Say, God, we just want to stop and acknowledge you and just thank you for this food. And thank you for another day together. Amen. It's acknowledging your dependence upon God. That is what it means to pray without ceasing. And so I did that this week. It's just like, as, as my week, as I was thinking about this, as I was going through my week, like I, I got done riding my bike. Or I, started, I started riding my bike and and uh, I, was, I was going on this road, and all of a sudden, I, I, I'm riding, and all of a sudden, I think, God, I'm dependent upon you to make it home safely. So I pray for that to happen. Like, I would have never prayed for that beforehand, but like, all of a sudden, I realized I'm dependent upon God in this moment, and so I'm going to acknowledge that to him. And it's not a long prayer, but, but if you remember, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you are not the hero of your faith. God is. And so if you're wondering, I can't do this. Or like, if you think, I'm going to fail at this, here's the, here's, the, here's the truth. God is the source of spiritual development within you. It's not you. So if you want to grow in your faith through prayer, pray and ask him for help. It's not like he's going to say, no, figure it out. No, if God wants you to pray to him and you pray to him and you say, God, help me to be a better prayer, help me to acknowledge you, then guess what's going to happen that week? He's going to bring to mind moments for you to acknowledge him as the source. That's what's going to happen. So if you feel overwhelmed, if you just feel like you need to do better, don't. Ask God for help because he is the source. You aren't. 
He is the hero of your faith, not you. And he wants you to grow, and he is ready and willing to help you. And so for today, as you go, acknowledge your need of him and ask him for help. So if, as the band go ahead and goes ahead and comes up, if you are frustrated, here's what you can do. Acknowledge your need of him and ask for patience. If you are tired, ask him for rest and energy. If you are sinful, ask him for forgiveness and strength to repent. If you are happy, thank him for that moment. And if you eat well, thank him for his provision. Because God is the source. And he says, I want you to acknowledge that. And I want you to turn to me. And so turn to God in prayer because he is the hero of your story. And so let's pray. And so, Father, come before you. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you come to us and, and you want us to uh, just to, to develop and to grow and to become more like Christ. And you want to lead us on the path to doing that. And so I pray that you would give us strength, the boldness to, to ask you for help to be better prayers, to, to be people who, who would acknowledge you throughout our days and be people who would be characterized by praying without ceasing simply because we love you and we want to acknowledge you as the source of every good thing in our lives. And so I pray that you would encourage us with this. Encourage us with your word to help us to remain committed to you and hold, hold on fast to Jesus because he is the vine and we are the branches. And without him, we can do nothing. Make that real for us this week. And so we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.